The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven will be as when a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. To all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. O oh Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Some of you may have had the opportunity to read James Carroll's piece in the Boston Globe this past Monday on the op-ed page. It was a piece called The Tattered fabric of our nation and in that piece he despairs of what he calls the crisis of faith in American civil society and he despairs that we can muster the will to do the right and necessary and good things that we need to do to make our society right again. Now one need not share Carol's politics 
You don't have to be a Democrat or a Republican or independent or anything in between to agree that we are in a frightening time economically, politically, socially, environmentally, and not just in this country, but globally. And one, one need not be guilty of what historians call presentism, that is the idea that, that we are unique in the present and that nothing like this has ever happened to anyone before. One need not be a presentist to wonder really and truly if perhaps something is different in our own time. Something in our own age is different and frightening. After reading Carol's piece, I haven't been able to shake this feeling that we are in a critical in-between time, a time of waiting and uncertainty, a hinge time, if you will, where the future is frightening and unknown. And perhaps connected to crisis in our public lives, our private lives may also be out of kilter and fearful. The book of Judges that we heard from this morning recounts a hinge time between the charismatic leadership of Moses and Joshua on the one hand and the establishment of a monarchy first under Saul and then David and then Solomon, roughly a thousand years before Jesus. During this time, the Israelites were a loose confederation of tribes, unruly tribes, uh, and engaged in the uneven and chaotic process of settling in Canaan. And there they were seemingly locked in a constant cycle of faithlessness and idolatry and oppression with cries for liberation and then God providing a rescuing leader to lead them out of their distress. And in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, we also have a text that is addressed to a hinge time, an in-between time, an anxious waiting time set in the first century for the Christian church. Paul had crisscrossed the Mediterranean, establishing churches, and the imminent return of Jesus was expected, but unaccountably, perplexingly delayed. And their question was, how are we to live? How are we to live as we wait for the return of Jesus? How are we to conduct ourselves as we wait? And finally, this morning, we have the parable of the talents found in the Gospel of Matthew. Contrary to popular belief, this is not primarily a story about the false stewardship appeal or of God's approval of venture capitalism. It's not that. It is the third of four stories, four parables in a row that Jesus tells at the end of Matthew about the eschaton, which is the fancy Greek word for the end times, the end of all things. Matthew's community, like the church in Thessalonica, is trying to figure out how to live in a time of waiting, of anxiety and uncertainty. The Romans had destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Jesus had not come back. They're wondering to themselves, well, how can we apply what Jesus said to us? What Jesus said during his ministry, how can we apply it to ourselves? What do we do? How are we to live in this time of calamity? Well, Jesus 
tells a parable that portrays a master with three slaves to whom he gives unimaginable resources before he goes on a journey of undetermined length. And then as he returns, he meets out unbelievably lavish rewards, unimaginable rewards and incredibly harsh punishments. Some context here. A talent in Jesus's day referred very concretely to a unit of weight, not to a gift or an ability, but to a concrete uh, amount of weight that was applied to precious metals like gold or silver or copper. And that uh, weight of precious metals was about the amount that a day laborer could expect to make in 20 years of labor. Now, this is an unimaginable sum in a world where currency was hardly used by everyday people. They didn't have wallets. They didn't have pockets full of coins. They didn't go to the store and buy things. Money, precious metals in that amount, in any amount, were almost unknown. Add to this the fact that in Jesus' time and place, people functioned with a limited good understanding of the world, which is to say that all goods concrete goods like money and food and shelter were limited. The pie was limited. And not just concrete goods like that, but also intangible qualities like friendship or honor or status, even love. It was a zero-sum game. If someone was a winner, someone else was a loser. And to seek gain beyond what was rightfully one's by birth, to seek anything more than that was seen as unjust. It was seen as stealing. So if we apply that worldview back onto the parable, we see that, in fact, by the lights of first century Mediterranean culture, the last slave did the right thing. He did the honorable thing. He did the correct thing. He kept the money safe. And he didn't attempt to grasp at what was not his. And yet, here we have Jesus turning all of this on its head while we scratch our heads trying to figure out what in the world does this parable mean for us. In God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, as Jesus has taught about it in the Gospels, There is no such thing as limited good. There is no limited pie. There's no small pie. There are no winners and losers. There is prodigious, unlimited, unfathomable, bottomless blessing and bounty. God repeatedly gives prodigiously. Look at the loaves and fishes. Look at Jesus' teaching about forgiveness. Not forgiving just seven times, but seven times 70. Relentless forgiveness. Bottomless. Or look at the cross. The cross that shows Jesus' love, God's love for us, is endless. It's without limit. The resurrection testifies to the unlimited, bottomless possibility that God provides for each one of us in our lives. There's no limited pie. There's no limited good. There's boundless, endless Opportunity for goodness and love and justice. That requires some explanation, I think, of 
the harshness of the master's punishment, peasant listeners would have understood this as par for the course. This is not a figure for God, this master. This is a figure for the wealthy and privileged. And of course, of course, the rich will punish us for doing the right thing. That's the nature of rich people in the worldview of these peasants who would have been listening. And Jesus rightly points out in the context of this parable, the risks, the risks of doing the right thing. His own life, his own life, this ample testimony to the risks of doing the right thing. And here we have a warning that just actions, right actions can lead to persecution. Yet, we can also say, because these parables are alive and active and rarely, hardly ever reducible to one nice, neat little package that we can take home with us in a bow and put on our kitchen table and refer to time and again, the rich with possibility. So we can also say that Jesus is using this parable with its hyperbole and figures of speech to show the joy and faithfulness and fruitfulness of taking risks as well as showing the isolation and the alienation that accompanies the choice to live and act out of fear. When we live and act out of fear, we cut ourselves off. We are in already the outer darkness. And this is especially true, the dangers of living out of fear. It's especially true when it might be tempting to hunker down, to play it safe, to avoid action and commitments to just kind of wait and see till it feels safe whenever that is. Immediately following the parable of the talents, Jesus tells another parable in which he makes very clear the way that we are to behave in the in-between times, in the waiting times, in the uncertain, fearful times. He tells us where to feed the hungry, where to give water to the thirsty, where to welcome the stranger, where to clothe the naked, where to care for the sick, where to visit the captive. I wonder if there are situations in each of our own lives, situations in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, in our wider community, where, where boldness is called for places in our own lives, public and private, where we can feed the hungry, where we have the wherewithal to give a drink to the thirsty, where we have the capability to clothe the naked, where we have the wherewithal to care for the sick, where we have the courage to visit the captive. So the question to us is, How will we choose to live our lives in times of demanding uncertainty uncertainty for the public good as well as for our own private good and those we love? Will we play it safe, being comfortable in our limited good understanding of the world, in our limited high view of the way things are? And will we find ourselves locked outside in the dark and impoverished by our own timid behavior? Or 
Will we boldly live into the kingdom of God where there is endless bounty, endless love, endless forgiveness? Will we take risks, perhaps upsetting convention and the status quo, so that we and the whole world might enter into the joy of our master? What will we do? Amen.